talk about this morning, because that was all from two weeks ago. What I want to talk about this morning is how can we learn to be a generous church? Because here's the thing, the pioneers back in the day when they settled and they came into America and they began to settle different colonies, they were extremely generous. They took whatever they had, they loaded it up and said, this is all I have to last me. And I'm going to give of myself, of my time, of my talents, my resources, and we're going to carve out a trail and we're going to create a new life for us and anybody that would follow. And the truth is, if we're going to be genuine pioneers that want to see something great happen here in this region, in this city, in this area, then we have to learn to be generous people. In order to be a pioneer, you have to possess the spirit of generosity. And this is one of the things that I absolutely love about my parents, because before there was ever an OSC, Crowley, before there was OSC Jennings, before there was Our Savior's Church Eunice, before there was any of that, there was this green van. <laughs> this green, rickety, 12-people van. And many of you may not know this story, but we used to um, live in Lafayette, and my dad um, started a church. We started the church in Jennings, Louisiana when it first started, and we started in a holiday inn. And at the time when we first started, we were still living in Lafayette, so every single Sunday we would drive back and forth in this green van. Now, our entire church fit in this green van, like the sound system, the kids' equipment, everything, and even the congregation, like everybody fit in that green van. That was it. And I'm telling you something, that was genuinely a pioneer spirit. My parents left a brand new house that we just got in. It was like my mother's dream house. She still talks about that house today. It was my mom's dream house. We'd just gotten into that. We had been settled in school for, I mean, I, I, we moved when I was about 15 or 16. No, 14 or 15. Um, so all my friends, I mean, we left all of that, and we packed up our lives, and we moved to Jennings, of all places. I remember asking uh, my brother, we used to have this bunk bed, and we would lay in it, and we'd have these, like, carvings that we would, uh, you know, carve in the bunk bed. And I remember my brother wrote, like, 11, 29, 2002, worst day of my life. <laughs> like, that's like the most emo thing, right? Like, <laughs> worst day of my life. It was the day that we moved. And, and the truth is, it took them, this is, this is what's crazy. So we packed up everything in the green van. We started a church in a hotel room. And, and probably for maybe five years or so, I mean, we would teeter maybe 50, 60 people or so. And, um, you look at all of that and all that they gave. My dad was promised, you know how much he was promised that uh, Pastor Jacob had promised to help, you know, pay him for a little while. And he was promised $500 a month. And that was it. A month. Um, and so they sacrificially, they really gave. And today, here's what's crazy. Because somebody pioneered a trail, because they saw the future, because they had a word from God to say, listen, I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to take sacrifice in our marriage. I know it's going to take sacrifice in our finances. I know it's going to take sacrifice on, on all parts. But we really believe that this is what God is calling us to do. And oftentimes when God calls you to do something, you may not see the full picture in the very beginning. But later on down the road, you begin to see all the fruit. And now today, there's three campuses with over a thousand people that attend. How incredible is that? But it took a spirit of generosity. 
took a spirit of saying, listen, I will leave my comforts, I will leave my home, I will leave everything that I know in order to attach myself to a cause that is bigger than me. To a cause that is bigger than me. And we see this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 22. And this is a very familiar passage um, in scripture. If you've grown up in church uh, for a while, you probably know this. But this is how it reads. It says, another day, a man stopped Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to enter into eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you to do. The man asked, well, what in particular? Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. And the young man said, well, I've done all that. What's left? Now, let's pause there for a moment. Because when we read all this, we love this part. You know, we love, okay, well, if, if, if that's all it takes to follow Jesus, I got it. No problem. All right, just don't lie, don't murder that one. Not me and my wife, some mornings I want to wake up and, you know, don't do all those things. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. All right, I got it. I can follow. I wasn't re referencing my wife. That was just an example. Anyway, um, but we follow. We say, hey, I have all these rules. Got it. I can do that. It doesn't really require much sacrifice, right? Just tell me the rule. How many of you guys, anybody like in here, you like lists? You love lists? Or, or, or maybe you love somebody to tell you, like, hey, just do it this way. And you're like, all right, I got it. I got it. Just give me step one, step two, step three, step four. I got it. And I find a lot of times that's what we do within Christianity. God, just give me the bullet points. Tell me what to do just to get into heaven. I want to die. I want to go to heaven. That's all I care about. So just give me the bullet. Okay, don't, don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't, oh, okay, I got it, God. But then Jesus says, but, now watch this. If you want to give it all you got, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let them go. So, so here's, here's what I want to get at this morning. Most of us would rather obey the rules because the rules don't require sacrifice. Most of us would say, hey, just give me the list, God. Tell me what to do. And then Jesus says, listen, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to be my disciple, then it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you getting uncomfortable. It's going to, it's going to cost you maybe do, selling some possession. It's going to cost you something. Jesus says, if you really want to be my disciple, you have to sacrifice. And here's the truth this morning. I wonder how many times we actually miss out on the fullness of Christ because we're not willing to sacrifice. We're not willing to give up something. I can't tell you how many, and I'm speaking this personally for myself, I can't tell you how many times I've missed out on a greater joy that God had for me because I'm clinging on so tight to what I have now. Well, God, if I give this, then I'm going to be without. But, he, but God's saying, but if you give this, I'm going to give you more. Amen. And sometimes we're so focused on what we have. If I give this away, if I give this time, if I do this, then I'm not going to be able to be okay in the future. So I want to look at three different ways that Jesus is actually calling us to give of ourselves, of our lives, of our resources. And I'll be honest with you. 
Um, this morning is, you know, uh, it's probably not going to be a morning where it's just like, yeah, I just love that message. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it was one of those things you walk out of here, you know, skippy and all that kind of stuff. Hopefully this morning, and my prayer is that God would join us together as a greater community that says, listen, we don't want to just be a church that sits in seats and in pews, but we want to attach ourselves to a greater cause, a greater purpose, a greater vision, and we want to give our lives to this. We want to give our lives to seeing people come to know Jesus. So before I deliver the rest of this, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I pray that this morning, God, that for many of us, we would draw that line in the sand. That maybe where we've just been on the edge of things, saying, God, I can't give in fully 100%. I can't surrender 100%. God, I pray that we would just cross that line today. God, whatever is holding us back, God, whatever walls, whatever things that we have put up, whatever safeguards we have put in place, God, I pray that you would begin to break those things down. And I pray that you would have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, I just want to say this real quick before I, before I dive into this. Listen, I don't know how you walked in here this morning. I don't know what the circumstances of your life are. I don't know, maybe some of you are in just a, a place in your life where you feel like right now you're just kind of at this impasse. Maybe you're at just this wall. And maybe it kind of feels like Jesus is working against you. Maybe it feels like you're like, God, are you looking at the landscape of my life and are you aware of what's going on in my life right now? Listen, if God brought you here for anything, just for one thing, just to tell you, listen, I see you, I notice you, I care about you, and I know exactly where you're at. And his timing and, and sometimes may not make perfect sense for us. We say, God, where are you? Why aren't you providing? Why aren't you taking care of me? God, it, God always knows what he's doing. He's always good in every season, in every circumstance, even when it seems like it's not making sense. So three ways that Jesus is calling us to give. Number one, we give sacrificially. We give sacrificially. And we see this in actually Deuteronomy chapter 26, um, verses 1 through 2. And it says this. Let me give you a little context before I read it. Um, he's, he's actually... He's, about to read this power, he's, this passage is he's talking to farmers. Okay, so just keep that in mind before I read it. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and having taken possession of it and living, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of all the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in the basket. Now we we understand this verse if you grew up. Um, in church like I did, or maybe if you didn't, I'll explain it to you. But we've always heard this principle. You know, when, when you get something, you always give the first of whatever you get. You give it back to God, you know. So I've always learned growing up, if you get the paycheck and you look at it and you say, okay, I give the first of it to Jesus. Or maybe if you, you know, you did another job or an extra thing, you say, okay, I'm going to give the first of that to God. And I think the way that a lot of us do it sometimes, we look at, okay, I'm going to total up everything that I've made this year, or I'm going to total up everything that I've made this week, total up everything that I've made this month, and then I'm going to give off of it. And, and God's actually, he's like, he totally re reverses it in this, and I read it completely differently for the first time. When God actually calls them to bring their first fruits, he's not asking them to total up anything that they've made. 
He's saying, hey, listen, when you start picking up the fruit and you harvest, the first fruit that you pick, give it to God. Give it to God. Why? Because here's what happens. If we total it all up, and this is, and I've, I've fallen victim to this myself, if we total it all up without giving the first of what we've made back to God, here's what we do. We end up giving out of a surplus. We, have, we end up giving out of the extra, and it doesn't require any kind of sacrifice, and it doesn't require us to change our lives in any kind of way. So when we end up giving out of the surplus, it's the extra, the leftovers that you have. It doesn't require you to change anything in your life whatsoever. He says, the first fruit that you take from the ground, give it to God. Most of us end up giving out of the surplus, the extra. The surplus is the extra, the leftovers, and this does not require you to sacrifice anything. So here's what I want to say to you this morning, based out of this verse. God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants our firstovers. And that is not a word, but I just made it up. And here's the truth. Every single time that you are going to follow Jesus, he's going to call you to sacrifice. He's just going to do it. He's going to call you, and I'm going to lead, it's going to lead me to the second point in a moment, but there's a reason that he's going to call you to sacrifice. God doesn't want just the leftovers. He said, listen, I want to make sure that I have all of you. I want to make sure that you're, you're all in, that you're bought into this. Like the first of what you get, can you give that to me? Can we give until it hurts? Can we give to the place where it changes the way that we live? Can we give to the place where it even changes the way that we shop and the stores that we go to and the things that we do? Can we give to the, to the place that, that, or where we give so much that it hurts where we say, this is actually affecting the way that I live? This affects my decisions and my choices. See, the truth is, wherever there is sacrifice in some kind of area, there's commitment that is born. When you sacrifice something, all of a sudden, because you've been working to sacrifice and you're giving up something for a greater cause and the greater good, you look back and you step back and you're more committed to it. Why? Because you've sacrificed. You know the work that is put in to attain the thing that needs to be attained. And here's the truth. God wants us to sacrifice because he wants to give you a greater joy than you have right now. We sacrifice so that we can get a greater joy than what we have right now. And this leads me to point two. We give joyfully. We give joyfully. Continuing the verse in Deuteronomy 26. It says this. You shall take some of the first fruit. You shall take some of the first of all the fruit from the ground which is the harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in the basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose. Now watch this. To make his name dwell there, and you shall, shall go to the priest who is in the office, and at that time, and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Now let me explain to you what's going on here. Well, this is what happens, and thank God, you can thank me later that we don't do it this way anymore. Okay, but when they would actually give of like their tithes and their offerings or their first fruits or whatever it was, this is what would happen. They'd have these priests that would hold these baskets and they would kind of walk down and they would drop the fruit in the basket or drop whatever it was that they were giving into the basket. And then they would have to declare like a testimony of the previous week, what God has been doing in their life based on what they gave last week. 
So they could not give without giving a testimony of joy of how God had provided for them the week before. How incredible is that? So, so basically, aren't you glad we don't do that today? <laughs> uh, nothing. Um, I'm never coming back. But listen, they would have to walk up to the thing. They would drop the fruit in. And by the way, fruit and all that kind of stuff, that was a form of money back then. You know, like we have stocks and tradings and all that kind of stuff. They just, instead of us trading like stocks, they would trade a cow. You know, that's just how, how it worked. But I thought it was so interesting when I read this that you have to drop the fruit in and then you would have to testify of the goodness of God based on the sacrifice that you made the week before and the joy that you attained through that. And see, that's what God wants to do through our giving. He's not like trying to, to take your money from you. He's trying to give you something better than what you have in your checking account. He's trying to give you something that lasts forever, which is eternal joy with the Father. He's trying to give you greater intimacy with Jesus when we learn to give sacrificially. Listen, some of us may say, but it seems like God just wants my money that I work so hard for. How many, let's just be honest. How many of you guys have heard this phrase before? I don't go to church because all they want is my money. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah? Or, man, I just, the whole me and Jesus thing, me and God thing, I just don't get it. It just seems like he always wants my money. Here's the truth. Let's look at it this way. The money that you worked so hard for, the talent that God gave you, who gave you that talent? God. Like the talent that you have to crunch numbers, the talent that you have to work hard with your back, the talent that you have to be able to look at systems and say, hey, this fits here, this works here. Who gave us that talent? God. Or maybe you say, well, you know what? I'm just, I'm so glad that I'm in physical health and I can work hard and I can do all these things where other people can't. Well, who gave you that physical health? God did. So here's the truth. Everything that you have is not a testament of how hard you worked. It's a testament of a good God. Because your health, your talents, everything that you have is because God has allowed it. Everything. Because here's the truth. I don't care how hard you work. If you were born in Haiti, you'd still be poor. That's just the truth. If you were born in Tibet on the mountaintops, you would still be poor. And you could work your fingers to the bone and you would still be scraping by. Why? Because God opens every door and he closes every door. And so here's the truth. Like sometimes we look at the landscape of our life. I've worked so hard. I've, I have, for everything that I, that I own and everything that I've obtained, I've worked for it. But who gave you the talent and abilities to do so? See, the reason the children of Israel gave us such joy is because they remembered where they came from. See, hopefully today, the reason that we can give, the reason that we are compelled to generosity is because we remember where we've come from. See, the children of Israel at one point were enslaved, right? They were in Egypt without a home, no place to call their own, captured and in slavery. And the reason that they would give and they would practice this, this testimony of every time I'm going to give, I'm going to talk joyfully of everything that God has done. And the reason that they would do that is because they had a lot to be thankful for. 
Because they remembered 40, 50 years ago where they came from. 40, 50 years ago that Moses was throwing his staff down at part in the Red Sea and God had provided a path for them to walk through that as the flood waters engulfed Pharaoh's army. See, the children of Israel never gave begrudgingly because they understood they were spared of so much. See, the truth is hopefully we can connect this to the gospel because we're not called to give just because we're called to give. We're called to give because our giving is connected to how much we understand the gospel. Our giving is actually connected to an intimate relationship with Jesus. I believe this, if we, if, as Christians, let's just look at it, not even as a church, okay? Just as Christians. People that love Jesus and should be following Christ. We should be compelled to live generous lifestyles because we have a Jesus that has come in at the pits of our life and said, I will rescue you even when you don't deserve it, and I will give up everything for you so that you can have life. And so we give out of responding, out of understanding that. We give because we've been given so much. Matthew 6, 19 says it this way. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from the moth and the rust and the burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, it's the place where you most want to be and end up being. Here's the truth. Whatever your heart most treasures, that is where your money will always follow. Whatever you love the most, your money will always follow it. So, so let me put it this way. How many of you, how many have ever been to like an NFL football game? Anybody? Or a game? Or maybe you've been to like a big concert. Anybody been to a big concert? And, and here's the truth. Like, let's just say you are a diehard like, football fan. You love the Saints. You love Saints football. And then you get online. You're like, listen, this year I'm going to go. We're going we're gonna to go to, I'm going to get season tickets or I'm going to buy a ticket to the game. And you get online and you look at the price of tickets. You're like, oh, my God, $120 a seat. Man, that's expensive. But you remember, you're diehard. So what do you do? You're like, you know what? I love Saints football so much. Doesn't matter. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Purchase the ticket. Right? And, and here's the truth. Because our what we love, our money will always follow what we treasure. Now, I would look at that at, at the Saints football thing and I'd be like, $150, not even worth my time. I hate football, so I don't really care. But if I saw a deal like on Amazon, like $150, Les Paul guitar. Oh, dude, I'm in, you know? Right? But here's the truth. If we look at, let's just, let's look at the landscape of even our finances for a moment. If we were to look at it, it's pretty obvious if you start itemizing everything, you can find out what you really love the most. Like some of us really love Popeyes. <laughs> Me. <clears throat> Whatever you love the most, you never have to go, ooh, am I going to spend this on it? You know, you, no, you go, uh, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it happen. I don't have the money for the tickets, but get, I promise you, by the end of this week, I will have sold my kidney. I will find ways to get that ticket. And it's never something where once we buy it, we regret it, right? 
Because we enjoy the experience, we love it, and then we come to church and it's kind of like, God, no, everything I have is mine. I've worked so hard for it. We don't want to give because it's this idea of just, no, it's mine. I want it. I worked for it. I keep it. This is mine. But see, whatever you value, you will devote your time and energy and resources to. And here's the truth. I've said it like this before. That dress that you spent so much money on or so much time shopping for or looking for in maybe a year or two, somebody else is going to be buying it at Goodwill. Right? Every time you drive into Baton Rouge and you go over that big bridge and you look off to the right, you see where your car is going to end up being. There's a big junkyard where they smash cars and they repurpose the metal and the tin and all that kind of stuff. So that, you know, that big note that you're paying on that $50,000 car that you wanted so much, it'll be smashed there one day. <laughs> like your investment will be gone. And here's the truth. The only thing that carries any eternal value is the kingdom of God. So why would we not want to look at that and say, man, I want to invest all of my time, my resources, my money into the kingdom of God because it's the only thing that is going to outstand, withstand anything in this world. Anything in this world. See, whatever your attitude is when you give, it reveals your understanding, watch this, of grace. Whatever your attitude is when you give, it reveals your understanding of how much God has actually sacrificed for you. So if we can't bring our place, if we can't bring ourselves to get to the place of giving, then we're not really understanding the grace of God and the sacrifice that he's made for us. If you hear this message and your attitude is like, okay, geez, Pastor Zach, what do I write the check to? <laughs> when do I start tithing? If your attitude is that, then here's, here's the truth. You're still missing the gospel. It's not about writing a check. It's not about doing any of that. God just wants all of you. In order to do that, he's saying, listen, you're going to have to give up something. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to lay some comforts aside. And the truth is, when you start to sacrifice, yes, it's hard. And there is this pull on your flesh to say, no. But the more and more that you begin to do it, guess what happens? You move from this process of what we call you dutifully give, and you get to a place where you go, okay, I, I love doing this. I delight in this because I realize every time I sacrifice that God always comes through. And I always attain and I always receive a greater joy. Listen, I know when you hear this message, it's not like you're going like, you know what? God, thank you that I'm just going to give sacrificially. <laughs> I know we're not in here going, yes, I'm just going to sacrifice. Because God just wants to give me joy. I know when you hear this, what, it's not like you're encouraged, right? For, for most of us, we're crushed. Let's just be honest. Like when you read this, when you, when you look at these verses, and when you, when you see Jesus say, okay, if you want to follow me, go sell all your stuff. Do you think he was just like, Yes! I love Jesus. No, it, he was crushed. But you know what that crushing is? It's the crushing of your flesh. It is the crushing of Jesus saying, listen, if you want all of me, then there is some fleshly things that have to be crushed. 
It is the crushing of going, oh, I can't do this anymore. Or I can't have this anymore. Which in reality hold no eternal value at the end of the day. Could it be that the highest joy requires the highest sacrifice? Could it be that the highest joy attained is only going to come from the highest sacrifice? And we actually see this in the gospel, don't we? The highest joy, the highest price that was ever paid by Jesus Christ, the greatest sacrifice ever made on the cross, is now our greatest joy. Why? Because he gave of himself. Number three, we give graciously. See, now this is the point where it becomes fun. Now we can give out of an understanding of grace. I don't give begrudgingly. I don't give because I feel like I have to. I give because I genuinely understand that the grace of God is so good. And that he saved me and he gave up everything for me. That's why we give. See, Jesus did not just give to the point where it changed his life. He gave to the point where he lost his life. One of my favorite quotes as of lately is by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. She writes it in a book and she says, um, any Christianity that does not cause you to carry a cross is not Christianity. <laughs> just think about that for a moment. See, when Jesus... When he says, pick up your cross and follow me daily, listen, he, he wasn't talking about go buy a little cross and put it on your neck, okay? <laughs> I bought this at the Christian bookstore. Jesus told me to carry my cross so I got it around my neck. Whoa, I'm missing the whole point. That's not what it means. See, when, back in that day, when you would see somebody carrying a cross, you knew they were going to their death. I find it funny that oftentimes I'm not you know, making fun, well, I kind of am, but, uh, like, if you wear a cross around your neck or whatever, like, back in that day, if we would have done that, I know today it's a reminder, it serves as a reminder for many people, but back in that day, that would have been like wearing, like, an electric chair around your neck. That, when people, that's what they understood that symbol to be. When you carried your cross to it, like, that dude's going to die. And so when Jesus says, carry your cross daily, pick it up daily, carry your cross daily, he's saying, Every single day there should be something where we're dying to self. See, when you grasp the grace of God, you will always be compelled to give. You won't be able to get away from it. You'll want to give of your time. You'll want to give of the talents that God has graciously given you. And you'll want to give of your money. You just will. You can never escape it. See, anything that you really love, you have to stop yourself from spending, don't you? <laughs> if you genuinely love something, you have to stop yourself from overspending. Why? Because you love it so much, you're passionate about it. You know, I'm, I, love, I love music, I love that kind of stuff. I remember when I first got into it, I remember... <laughs> In the beginning, before I was married, like my paychecks, it was going to like music stuff. And then I get to the end of the week, and I'm like, oh, man, where's my money? I have no money. 
I can't eat, but I have an awesome guitar. <laughs> Why? Because I was passionate about it. I loved it. See, whatever you love, you'll give your time, your energy, and your resources to. And all I want to do today is take those affections, those desires, and say, listen, those, those desires to love something great, it's not bad. All Jesus wants to do today is he wants to take those things and he wants you to get yourself focused on the kingdom of God and something eternal. See, sometimes it's just a reorientation of our focus. A reorientation of our affections. If you really understand the radical grace of God, you won't have a problem giving. You just won't. God's grace is so radical that he gave it to an undeserving thief on a cross. I don't know if you realize this or not, but we're all that thief. You want to, when people ask me, Many times, like, how good is the grace of God? Like, could God really forgive me of this or that? And you, you create all these different scenarios. Listen, if Jesus, the Son of God, could lie bloody and naked on a cross, and you have a murderer that stands right next to him that deserves death, and he just says, God, today I want to be with you in paradise. And he says, okay. And <laughs> that was it. How gracious is that? So I don't know where you're at today or what you're struggling with or what you're dealing with or what you're beating yourself up about. But I do know this. If you experience the radical, encountering grace of God, it will change everything about you. See, my prayer and my hope today is that this realization for many of us would compel us to be a generous church. It would compel us to generosity. It would compel us to a place where we say, listen, God, we are so understanding of your grace that we want to give everything that we are. I want to close with just a story. Um, and I'm just going to be, I'm going to be brutally transparent with you guys. Um, and I've been praying about this a lot this, this past week and things that I should say and things that I shouldn't. You know, when we started this campus, and there's been so many highs. There's been so many good things. So many people that have come to know Jesus. So many people serving. So many people leading. Um, we have some of the most incredible leaders right here at this campus. We do. Our dream team is phenomenal. We've got some amazing people. When we first started this campus, I remember people were saying all kinds of things of like, man, it's going to be hard there. Crowley's just a hard city. You know, I don't know if it's going to work, all this kind of stuff. And uh, they're like, Crowley's really messed up. <laughs> That's why we're going. Um, and they said all these things. And, and within the first probably six, seven, eight months, we were probably one of the fastest, we were the fastest growing campus out of all the churches that we had ever planted. And so we've never had an issue getting people in these doors. Now, as you, you know, as you grow and as you, um, and within the, in the two years that we've been here, uh, people come, people go, people realize, hey, this is for me, or this is not for me, I want to raise my family here, people move on, whatever they do. But we've just always anchored ourselves into one thing, that God will build this church. 
but we still totally, totally believe that. But I do want us to understand something, because, and I said this two weeks ago, this is not my church, this is our church, and it's now shifting to the phase where we're not babies anymore. We're not the campus where, you know, yes, everybody celebrated us in the beginning, but now it's time for us to drive a stake in the ground and say, you know what, this is our church. We're not gonna be, I'll just be brutally honest with you. There are many, many weeks, if we would not have Jennings and Eunice, this campus would not survive financially. Many, many weeks. And it's a blessing that we are set up the way that we are. You know, that we have incredible other churches, and it's the whole reason that we do set ourselves up the way that we do. You know, when one campus is weak in one area, another one would come in and say, hey, listen, we're going to lean in. And we've been set up, and there's been times, there's been weeks where, you know, God's blessed us, and we've helped another campus. So it has gone. It has worked both ways. But here's the truth. I'm going to just say this as lovingly as I can. If we're going to call this our church, it's time for many of us in here to take on responsibility and say, listen, if this is my church, then I want to be planted here. I'm going to give to this place. I'm going to be a part of, of seeing the future generation come to know Jesus. Like God has called us to be a part of that. And I think we're in a very critical time within the life of our church right now. And meaning this, God is calling us. There's a time where, you know, when you find parents, some of you guys know this, when you're at that phase of, like, your kid's like 20, 21, 22, and you're finally at the phase, when do I get them out of my house? And then you kind of reach the brink, and you're like, yeah, my house. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's where we're at right now. It's kind of like, all right, we got to get out. We got to get out from underneath the covering, and, and we've got to survive on our own. Listen, I, I, I've said this by faith, and I, I genuinely believe this. I believe, hopefully, in 2017, we're going to have our own place. How many of you guys are ready for that? But that's not going to happen until people really understand and they catch the cause and the vision of what God's really doing here. That it's so much more than people just coming in and taking part of a service being in the life group, but God's actually called us to sacrifice something. And I can't promise you that it's going to be easy. I can't promise you that, you know, whatever God has called you to sacrifice is, is going to be great and it's going to be easy, but I can promise you that it will lead to greater joy. Because God's promises and the things that God has for this church are always greater than what you're holding on and clenching in your hands right now. 